Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Welcome to Flashback Friday. We are bringing you a really fun interview uh, for Tales of the City. It's a series streaming right now on Netflix, and it's actually a remake that was originally based on a novel by Armistead Maupin, based in San Francisco. That's right. And we have an all-star lineup for you. Yep. We, uh, I got to interview uh, stars Zosha Mamet, Charlie Barnett, and Marie Bartlett, and showrunner Lauren Morelli. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically in love with all of them. Right, right. <laughs> and was like... I will take any of them. It's yeah, fine. I was, My TQI is high. I was scared. I was dreading this because Aaron was couldn't do was it. busy with work. Yeah. So I had to do it by myself and it was an all day press junket. Right. It was and a lot. I just, you know, it's three separate interviews and I just had to wait for my turn in a room full of interviewers right and, <laughs> and I media think, i think also you were sick which you never get sick i was you were sick at the i was time. a little sick i had a cough so i had to uh keep a cough drop in my mouth the, the whole lozenge, time and like lozenge. yeah and just hope that i didn't ruin the interviews but it went really well it was such a fun day and uh, i was just really grateful for all of these people for just the fun that we had yeah in, in and then the- i ended up running into them at the pride parade because right. they were a part yeah. of the Pride Parade, so I yeah. took a picture of them. And I'm like, you don't know me, but we interviewed you. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so you. I just, yeah, this is a really fun one. And, and you know, we just want to continue to bring you some fun, lighthearted content this month because it's it's been rough. But yeah. uh, so enjoy and have a great weekend. We are speaking to one of the stars of Tales of the City, Zasha Mehmet. Thank you so much for being on. Sure. Thanks for having me. And this this show is so fun to watch, especially living in San Francisco. It really hits hits close to home for me. How did you pick this project? Um, this project kind of picked me. Uh, I have been looking for what I wanted to do next, and I, I really love working in television. I never set out to work in TV. I always thought that I was like just going to work in film and do like really dark movies. And then <laughs> I started getting work in television in comedy. And I was like, what is this? Um, <laughs> who <but> am I? <laughs> totally. Like, what, what does it all mean? Um, and, but, you know, it's really tough after you're on a show for a long time to sort of like rejigger your idea of what what comes next because every year it's like oh I'm just going back I'm going back to do what I do I'm going Mm -hmm. back to my show Mm -hmm. um and so I wanted to find another place that felt like home um Mm. and I've been looking for the right thing for a while and um Bernie Telsey who cast this also cast me in this play really really uh that I did many years ago where I met my husband and um, that was sort of the first opportunity that I had gotten to play a different character. I played this like very dark, kind of conniving bitch uh, in this play. And he came to my manager and was like, "You know, there's this new this new role that we have in this new series." And it just um, it was a different enough part that I was super attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of being a part of 
the reboot of this series that was so important to so many people and then not only the books first and foremost but then the series in the 90s and having all of these people who were a part of the original production being involved in this and right um it just seemed like such an exciting opportunity. It's funny because I was going to ask you if that kind of scared you from the project at first, just because it already had this huge backing and people that were really passionate <clears throat> about the the prior inca- incarnations and and to work with people that have been on it since day one. If that kind of scared you, made you a little okay, I got to bring it. Um, I mean, I definitely felt scared to act across from Olympia, although Olympia and I had <laughs> acted with each other many years ago in a really terrible indie film that we made and she played my grandmother but we hadn't like really gone toe to toe yeah uh and so that was definitely i was like this is a legend she's olympia like i gotta (laughs) i really like i cannot leave it at home today i have to like show up um but no i think that that actually really excited me and and made me I think also probably because from the get-go everyone who had been involved like Alan and Laura um they were just so welcoming and their Mm -hmm. passion was so evident and that to me is something that makes me just feel great about being a part of a project when people there's already such heart involved Mm -hmm. you know these people like held this in such a special place I mean clearly they'd waited like 25 years and still wanted to continue to create this thing. Um, it wasn't like their desire had like died out along the way. So that I felt like sort of spoke volumes about the project before we even started shooting it. Yeah, I feel like the times have grown with the project too, yeah. because now it's this this whole new evolution of sure a lot of the old characters and actors that were in it before, but also a lot of new really fresh faces, yeah. including yours. And I love how the characters are treated with such heart and and humanity and i don't know if it's because i live in san francisco so i feel connected to a lot of the characters but uh do you have that as well i mean your character's a little different your character's a little more mysterious i'm about four episodes in so i'm still figuring you out yeah (laughs) yeah she definitely is mysterious yeah um you know it's funny i don't have much of a connection to san francisco and we also shot it in new york um oh. we cheated New York for San Francisco. Interesting. We shot I think like a week here with a few people and did mostly just exteriors. The like exteriors, stuff yeah. That you really needed the city for. Right. Um but even so, you know, I feel to me it's not even necessary even though the city is such a character in this and like from reading the books, you really feel that in the novels. Hmm. Um but I still not having a personal connection to San Francisco felt that so deeply about the characters and the stories. Because to me, that's one of the reasons this show and Armistead's novels are so amazing is that the stories are still so universal. But I mean, I think particularly right now, it's so incredible to read his books that like came out so in the 70s. And you're like, wow, this is really relevant still Mm -hmm. today, like in such a different way because the climate is so different. But Mm -hmm. like... The stories just feel really relatable to me. And it's interesting to think about, too, when he was writing it in the 70s, it was a lot of revolutionary stuff he was talking about. Yeah. And things that, you know, it's not so safe to just be so open about. No. But now we kind of take for granted. And that's something that the the show talks about, too, is the generational divide and, and aging, but still trying to connect to a younger generation that just looks at things differently now. Yeah. I really love the way that he also talks about age. I don't, 
it's that they meld together a little bit i can't remember if it's a line i think it's a line in the show but it might be a line in one of the books uh where mouse says like or maybe it's uh maybe it's brian's character is like he looks at the younger generation and he's like oh my god we're the grown-ups now <laughs> like that we have now ascended that like that generation that we look to is gone and so we're the ones in charge but i love how armistead really sheds a light on the fact that like grown-ups don't know everything you know yeah, what i no mean kidding. like we grow up our our entire lives is growing up like mm -hmm. you know it's not mm -hmm. like we get to a certain age and that's the marker where suddenly like you're wise and knowledgeable and omniscient like yeah. you know it just thank you you're making me feel better it okay, just go continues <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean and like yeah. i think that's something else this show does really beautifully is it it shows the messiness and the trials and tribulations of growing up at every age. Mm -hmm. um, and I I just, I, I love that. I love that he can really show that from like the people in their 20s to the people in their 80s. Yeah, that's so funny. Cause I do find myself, I'll be at a bar and be like, these kids aren't old enough to drink. And I'm like, oh wait, I'm almost <laughs> twice old enough to drink. So I need to keep myself in check too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so funny. So you didn't do a lot of filming in San Francisco, uh, but the time that you did spend here, what, what do you think about the the fans in San Francisco versus, because I grew up in LA and in, in LA it's like, you know, a lot of people want to be seen and are always looking for mm -hmm. certain things, but I feel like in LA people, or San Francisco, people are so indifferent and like looking down at their phones. Like what, what did you, how did you feel when you were shooting out here like the exteriors and stuff, getting so mobbed? I actually didn't come I wasn't one, we brought very few people to come shoot in San Fran. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a very, it was just, I think it was like Laura. Um, I don't even know who else came. It was like a super small group of people. It must have been Michael had to come and. Yeah, I think yeah, that from Michael that came. Okay. I think Ellen came for maybe like two days. Like it was, it was very fast and furious and not, not many people. Mm -hmm. um, but even just. Yesterday, it's funny, my husband and I were walking down the street. We got in yesterday and mm -hmm. I was like, it's really interesting being in a place. Uh, you know, we, we live in New York. We spend a lot of time in L.A. for work. Um, but it's really fascinating being in a place where our industry doesn't really exist mm -hmm. and where everyone's focus is on something that, like, we don't understand. Right. Like with tech being something that like I have no idea about <laughs> and having that be like the predominant industry here and that like the entertainment industry just like doesn't really exist in San Francisco and it's so funny it's crazy yeah because it's like we're so used to being in cities where like we're the majority and suddenly we're not and I'm like wow all of these offices are like devoted to something that like I can't even compute you know people start talking about interfaces and I'm like sorry I just my brain shut off yeah <laughs> I don't know no, I read billboards and I'm like I don't know what that's an ad for totally to be honest you know and I live here so it don't feel bad but yeah. um it was really interesting and I was like oh this is this is a different yeah it's just like a different vibe but is it kind of refreshing you can totally. just walk down the street and like Everybody's looking down on their phones. I mean, that's true for everywhere, but I feel like San Francisco in particular, it's just like, get out of the way, look up. Everybody <laughs> is also just like booking it. And it's funny saying that as I a New Yorker. I have a San Francisco walk, yeah. Oh, really? Like, okay. I'm a New Yorker. I walk <laughs> everywhere and I take the subway and like, I book it. You know, like New Yorkers are walking places fast. Yeah. But last night we saw this chick smoking a cigarette and downing a Red Bull and walking <laughs> like she was going to take someone out if they got in her way. And we were just like, wow. 
that's a that is a like determined walk like yeah. people are like there is no time like my app is going to be obsolete by the time i get to where i'm going so, like move it we're like wow okay that's a good point move maybe aside. that is why yeah because the app's going to be obsolete you that's know what so I mean? funny it's yeah just, like, tech moves so fast so i feel like they're like we got to get where we're going and like finish whatever we're doing because otherwise like someone's going to invent something Wow, that's so funny. I've ha- I haven't heard that insight from somebody from New York. That's interesting because everybody always makes fun of me for my fast walk. And my friend's like, your legs are so short. How do they move that fast? But yeah, it's a San Francisco thing, I yeah. guess. I thought it was just a big city thing. I don't know. It feels different here. It yeah. feels like um, more, what's the right word? Like desperate. They're like walking fast to get somewhere. I feel like New Yorkers are... We walk fast because like the city moves at a fast pace, hmm. but here it feels like something more internal. People are like, like an inner angst. Yeah. They like got to get where they're going. Oh God. I got to talk to the therapist about that. <laughs> That's a good point. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> so back to Tales of the City. Um, another thing that I really love, uh, it's just a really fun show to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the nightlife, the, and the scenarios that people get into, it feels very at some points like a like a soap opera but a realistic soap opera like sure. i've actually ended up in that situation even though it seems <laughs> a little far-fetched yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know what that says about me but do you feel <laughs> the same way uh yeah i mean i think that's sort of like echoing what i was saying before which is like the show just feels really relatable mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it feels like at all ages they're getting into sort of these shenanigans mm-hmm. um and i mean that was one of the most fun things about shooting the show as well was like all the various places that we shot and like the crazy scenarios that everyone's getting into and like you just know. outside of the shooting like just in general oh no i just mean like the stories like the stories of the show like the twins and their crazy like <laughs> art exhibits and like yeah, yeah. it was just all um yeah it was like every day was something new and interesting which was which was really it was super fun even just in creating it do you get to give a little input in the writing room or, or anything along those lines? or? Um, no, we didn't give input in the writer's room, but, um, you know, it was a super collaborative process. And, like, everyone we had, especially when you're, even though this show existed already, like, in creating all of these new characters, um, it felt like a really open, creative place to be like, actually, I feel like maybe this would work better or like talking about, you know, how you felt something would be played or um, everybody just felt super open to everyone's input. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I feel really jealous of Barbary Lane because I feel like I've always dreamed of like having that apartment complex where you just know everyone and you're all entangled in everyone's lives, but but for a good cause Mm -hmm. as a family, I believe it's called, they call it the logical, logical family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever lived in a situation like that? I mean, I've lived in seven different neighborhoods in San Francisco, but I've never really quite found that community of people. I've never had I that. What kind of, do you gotta be small town for that now or? I feel like maybe you do. Um, you know, I don't know. It's funny. Like I even, we just moved to an apartment building where we know a few people who live in the building and like, I never see them. <laughs> um, you know, we don't know them well, they're acquaintances, but you would think like, oh, we live in the same building. Like maybe that would be impetus to like, I don't know, like start a game night game or, night. I was just gonna um, say, yeah. <laughs> and it just, I don't know if it's, um, you know, my husband and I were just having this conversation actually the other day that like, um, there's something about, he's from Philly and he was like, you know, I feel like people in Philly like have dinner parties more. Like they make more of an effort to like 
do things as a group with their friends. And Mm -hmm. we have a wonderful group of friends in New York, but even still, like everybody has sort of, they're all successful and super busy and constantly traveling. And I was like, I feel like if we lived somewhere where people had to travel to us, we would see them more because people Mm -hmm. would have to like make an effort to spend time together. And it feels like when you work in, uh, when you work and live in an intense city with like sort of an intense demanding type of job in today's day and age, it's just like, you can suddenly be like, oh my God, I haven't had dinner with this person for two months. I haven't spoken to them for X amount of time. And then people have kids and it's like, um, yeah, I just don't know if that mentality exists in these types of cities. I wonder if it's also an era thing. Like I wonder if it did before the emergence of cell phones. I was going to say, I think social media and cell phones have a lot to do with it now because we just don't interact face to face in general. You know, you you think about like, I was talking to someone um, a while ago about making plans, how they were like, you know, it's really interesting um, to notice they were, it was an older individual and they were like, you know, when I was younger, like when I was in my twenties and you made plans with somebody, you didn't have a way to get in touch with someone. So like you would, it would take you whatever, half an hour to get where you were going. Like someone couldn't cancel 15 minutes before. You would never flake, ever. You wouldn't flake because you would be standing someone up. You couldn't text them and say 15 minutes out, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. Or I'm stuck in traffic, I'm gonna be 45 minutes late. Right. you would or you have can't to, text them to say, I'm on my way, even though you know you're home and you're not changed yet. Totally. Yeah, you couldn't exactly. do that. It's all a lie. Because <laughs> it would just be like the only way to get in touch with someone would be face-to-face or leaving a message on their answering machine, which you knew they wouldn't get until right. they got home. Mm-hmm. So like you just kept plans more often and you were more serious about making plans because you couldn't communicate otherwise. And I think that that's something else that social media and cell phones have done is that it offers this false sense of intimacy because you're communicating more with individuals. Right, constantly. Yeah. But like, yeah. have you ever noticed how people react when someone calls them? They're like, why is someone calling me? Like, yeah. is there an emergency? And then I think it's a lie. I'll see their name and I'm like, no, that's it's a, a butt dial For that's sure, a, butt dial. A, yeah, exactly. Because like, you're just so used to communicating by a text really or sad. email, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you like answer the phone and you're like, hello like that's even a line in the show i think um shauna she's telling her dad like to to, you know get a date with someone and she's like why are you calling text why are you calling them don't call them that's so desperate yeah what is that she's gonna think it's super aggressive wow well that's really sad and you've given me a lot to think about with big (laughs) city living i think i'm moving to the burbs everyone this is the last bitch talk episode buy a house and call it barbary lane it, and it is the safe space it really and is. it is a, a dying breed and I, I love this show it's sort of like a comfort blanket so yeah. thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk for Sasha sure. it was really fun talking to you you too cheers thanks can I say Bitch Talk to everyone oh you can say everything welcome to Bitch Talk bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
We are back with Marie Bartlett and Charlie Barnett, arguably the cutest couple on the show. Oh. Don't tell anyone else I said that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't worry about that. God, I mean it. So I mean it now. No, honestly, being in this room is like staring at the sun. I can't look directly oh, at you guys. On. It's too much. Anyway, um, I, I wanted to start with you, Marie. Um, you're playing Michael, who is a very iconic character in this show. Did you feel a lot of pressure coming into it, playing this role who as a character with HIV and, and showing it in a positive light and a moving forward light, did you feel a lot of pressure having this, uh, Michael having this history with fans in the past? I mean, I felt really excited by it. Um, I don't think I did feel pressure. I guess I had the thought, you know, two other actors have played this character on, you know, in, in the previous iterations of the miniseries that have gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I had, you know, I loved the first miniseries, and, but I'd never watched the second and third. For some reason, I just never got to them. And I loved the guy who played Michael in the first um, season. Um, and then before we started... <clears throat> Uh, shooting Tales of the City, I read all the books. I'd read the first few, but I, I went through and read all the books. So really, I felt some distance from what I'd seen those, you know, uh, previous actors do with. Uh, well, I hadn't seen the, the second guy, but I, I was really taking um, the essence of Michael from the books, like straight from Armistead. Really, is what I, I just wanted to like let Armistead kind of um, give Michael to me through the books, mm-hmm. um, and then. Also because, you know, a couple of decades have gone by um, since Michael was on screen in, the, in the, the first couple of miniseries. So I felt like a lot has happened in his life and he's kind of formed almost into a new character, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways in terms of his experience. Mm-hmm. He's still got this like boyish uh, quality to him is a bit of a man child in some ways um, a and vulnerability like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> fun and kind of you know he's very buoyant and mm-hmm. but he also has this breadth of experience of someone who became HIV positive through the you know the the in, intense uh, the intensity of the AIDS epidemic when it felt like a death sentence mm-hmm. and he he had to deal with that. He had to see a lot of his friends dying. He, you know, lost people who were very close to him and then come through it and like have this sort of, you know, um, opportunity to move into, you know, older age. So he has this um, breadth of experience, I think, that he didn't have in, in previous iterations of him. So I felt like that... Um, it's really made some it it, it it is almost like a new character you know mm-hmm. when we come to him now right giving yeah. it new breath in today's day and age yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah and and Charlie for you coming in as mm-hmm. as Michael's partner Ben you do this great job of providing just this really warm soft partner for Michael because the fans love Michael Michael is you know a huge yeah, character in the show yeah. but but then we slowly fall in love with you too as his partner as, and being this like very warm understanding you know it's complicated it's a complicated relationship, it's a relationship. Like all our, yeah. Like all <laughs> yeah yeah so how did you uh find this character and decide you wanted to play him yeah i had uh I, the audition i think came first but i read um that and the new series of the books the, the last four that have kind of been tagged on where my character comes in and i'd read the first one the first book of the series uh in high school or college oh wow um i can't really remember when it came but i, uh-huh. <laughs> I had it then um 
so I, I was initially, I was kind of a, introduced to it initially. Um, I, w- I was a little nervous walking into it and, and maybe it's just from being the, you know, the, the side piece, the boyfriend to the, like the star. You like, are not the side I'm not piece. a side piece. Oh, I'm no, a legit. Shy. I'm a legit. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I know. I even in watching the first season was like, oh, Michael's so dreamy and I love him. And like, <laughs> like yeah. it's a yeah. lot to kind of live up to in filling the, the filling the partnership, you know what I mean? Filling that like, um, uh, filling that void. Um, and so I, I, I am a little nervous about how the audience will receive me in, in being just a partner for this like iconic person. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited, and I, I, I trust our work, and I trust our relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neither of us have seen it. Yet, no, so we haven't seen it. Too. That's like, why we're so like in Oh, yeah. trust me, it's really good. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah cool. don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm gonna trust you. That's a, that's so funny. So, what is the process? Obviously, other than just being good actors, what's the process? You're coming into this. You know, you're gonna be the couple of the show that everybody kind of roots for and like don't fuck this up guys you know what i mean it's like one of those things i mean i haven't seen everything yet but i'm just like oh i love them and i yeah um what's the process in creating that relationship in that because obviously on screen the chemistry is great I, I, a lot of it starts with at home doing our own work. Um, I, we got really, really, really lucky in casting. Uh, Murray and I just, I guess, had a, had a mutual uh, understanding on, on on how to how to collaborate on, and and for each other, it just works so seamlessly. Um, we were thrown in in the beginning, like one of our first scenes was a quite intense sex scene Mm -hmm. and so you have a choice you know uh i mean you have to be respectful of each other obviously in that situation and you don't know what the other actors boundaries are i guess and we were fortunate i guess and we were both wanting and willing to go in it into it in a way that was kind of uninhibited in terms of you know just really exploring the intimacy between these characters and being open to um yeah, just being vulnerable well, and being yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. just yeah, being sort of um uninhibited in terms of not just like in terms of sex stuff, but in terms of the way that we explored this relationship. Um you know, so such a big part of acting too is is and my teachers have like worked this into my brain, but it's listening, you know? It's the first first thing that you should <laughs> understand clearly. And you listen as a character, right? But you listen as an actor as well. And I think Murray and I, and I don't want to like toot my horn, but I, I think that we're good listeners and we would listen to each other within the scene and allow it to change or evolve or be different um, opposed from like the first one. I think that really helped build that relationship and that trust because trust is a huge part of it. You don't want to take the risks. I don't want to rip my heart out in, in front of this this actor guy that I just met three days ago. Right. <laughs> and yeah. you, you got to. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, it'd be nice if I could trust him and then we can really go into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say I kind of had the upper hand, though, too, because I knew Murray's work prior. I'd watched him on Looking and I loved his character. I loved the work that he did. So I knew like when they told me that I got it and they're like, oh, and Murray Bartlett's going to be your boyfriend. I was like, oh, no big I'm, deal. Whatever. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. And like, but really, I was like, he's he's incredible I know he's a great actor I had a friend that was on looking with him that said he was an incredible human being so I was like I got nothing to worry about I'm going go and enjoy myself you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. I think also you know we um, 
we were lucky that we had a kind of a, a genuine connection in the beginning and we all also were you know these are very um we we wanted uh the love between these two characters to be very authentic and 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 then because we'd done that very early on, then we could kind of ride on that throughout mm-hmm. the shooting of the series. That the wonderful thing about shooting a TV show, um, potentially if you're with you know a, a wonderful partner on it, is that you can trust each other. So you you know you do all your own work as an actor, and then you turn up on set. And you can just jump in and see what happens, you mm-hmm. know. And it, that was a very privileged position to be in, in terms of being able to have that trust together. Because I feel like that's often when magic happens, when mm-hmm. you're not planning it all out, mm-hmm. when you, you know, you know what the scene is, you know what your intentions are, but then you just go in there and play, you know. And we we um, were able to do that together, which was really a wonderful way to work. It shows, yeah. And then, yeah. It, and then it, it, for the viewer, it feels authentic when you're watching it because it is. It's coming right, naturally right. Yeah. from a place of natural instincts. It's actually happening. In yeah. The <laughs> so well, just... well, one of my, one of my, one of the scenes that I really liked that really made me think was you, you're at a dinner party, yeah. and a, a lot of the show deals with aging and, and growing older and how you deal with that, and um, and there's an age divide between people at the party and and. Uh, Charlie, you're more associated with the younger yeah. of, of the crowd and, and you get into this debate over like the OGs are saying, hey, we can say whatever we want because we've lived through it. Mm. Like You have the luxury of, of being who you are now Picking because of me. Like, yeah. yeah, so I thought it was interesting because I understand both arguments. Oh, so good. I'm so glad you feel that way. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Like, you, you know, because... Uh, Living in San Francisco, it's like, yes, we're very sensitive about, you know, labels and, and you know, what you call each other and, and you want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, you want to be respectful of the people who paved the way for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, that episode with that dinner party scene in it is so beautifully written because mm-hmm. it expresses these two different pers- perspectives from a younger generation and older generation in a way that you agree and disagree with both of them. Yeah. You really are like rooting for them both and you see the points that they're making, mm-hmm. but you're also like, huh, but you're not listening to the other. And mm-hmm. so Can it's, you both be right and wrong a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. And it throws all that up in the air. And we were talking about this earlier that what's then also I think brilliantly brilliant about the writing is in the following scenes uh, with Ben and Michael you see them starting to kind of bridge those perspectives you know and I feel like what what often isn't found in those situations and you see it in the dinner party is that you know, everyone kind of like gets their shackle. You know, their what are they, was it called? The things that go up in the back. Their panties in a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, what are they? Like? You scrub up higher, like you know, like yeah. Yeah, like, everyone gets kind of you know um, excited by the the argument and stops listening to each other. And mm-hmm. we see then, as the episode well, goes on, Ben and, 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 and Michael listening to each other and starting to make those bridges between those perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's all coming from a personal place. You know, it's like these men who have experienced it, who have literally watched friends die yeah. one after the next. Mm-hmm. And a young man, Ben Marshall, who is is extremely passionate about identity and, and respecting a person's choice. Not to mention the history of like trans and gay rights. I've, I've been fraught, like there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many layers to it. And that's I, what I respect about the show in, in general is that there is isn't always an answer and in life there isn't like you can be agree and not agree you know what I mean it could be a bad and a good you know um, and it's really beautiful because then you start to see I think the lines in between which are where we all live that it's not the black and white is great and it's nice to have a bounce back but nothing is that clear and nothing is that simple and it shouldn't be it's almost like 
in my opinion personally the the point of that dinner table is to make other people sit and talk about those issues to mm. s- just to hear the stories just to hear why it's important to not use tranny you know and why it's important to understand why these people think that they should be allowed to um <laughs> am, I, am I getting off track? Yeah, no, no, that's beautiful. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, I think it you're opens right. The door it throws least. those things up in the air, and hopefully, it doesn't solve it for you, but no, hopefully, God, no. it leads you to, you know, a kind of deeper understanding of both arguments, and like, hopefully, ultimately, a way to kind of, you know, bridge the, those two. The beautiful part about the the LGBTQ, the queer community in general, is that it's like we are so vastly different. Right. And we've always like there's been disagreances within small fractions of the community from the start and any kind of community like that. But I I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lasting bond that has has kept us continuing and kept us remaining at the table, sitting and having those conversations, albeit mistakes made and and changes and, you know, uh, (laughs) the challenges. But I, I, I think there's something special that like. You know, you look at uh, the, the the straight white, you know, cis world. Respect for it as well. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times they can't come to the table. They can't have those conversations because they don't feel that they relate. And mm-hmm. we all know that we do because we've been outsiders. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's like you can't you can't lose that. Connected by the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. But also within that, you can be connected by a struggle. But there's also diversity in a community that is connected by a struggle. You know, we don't. Right. All and that's why. And that's yeah. why this show is that's special because they're right. not showing one dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. They're showing how complicated it all is within yeah. this one world. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, oh my God, thank you so much. I can sit here and talk to you as all day. Oh. This has been so great. I love Likewise. the show. Oh, Congratulations yeah. on your on your great job. Thank and you. I can't wait to finish the season. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks Take care, guys. Us. Thank you. Yeah, you want to get one more bitch in there? Because- bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're trained for this or something. <laughs> you must be. Okay, we are back with, no big deal, just the showrunner, writer, executive producer, Lauren Morelli. Thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Thank you so much for having me on Bitch Talk. And I want to thank you for the show because I moved to San Francisco in 99. Oh my God. So it's easy to, you know, I love it here. Obviously, I'm still here. But, you know, you become a curmudgeon. You complain about things. I started falling in love with San Francisco again because of this show. Oh, that means so much to me. Yeah. I mean, when you're following Marianne around and she's like Alice in Wonderland and, uh, you know, falling in love with a city that that she had been away from for a while. I was just like, oh, my God, I need to wake up and be more grateful. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing place. Yeah. Not without its underbelly, but still an amazing place. Of course. I mean, we won't talk about that now. But I I mean, that was just off the top. I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm loving San Francisco again. You kind of reclaiming that love. That means a lot to me. That's really (laughs) great. I'm so glad. So how did you find the story? Why why this story? Why now? Why redo it? All of that. Yeah, so many things. So um, Tales, this version of Tales had been in development for a couple years at Netflix. And I got a call a few years ago, 2017, um, because they were having a hard time nailing down Shauna's voice, who's played by Ellen Page. Mm-hmm. So I got this very funny phone call, but also a very predictable phone call that was like, hi, we need someone to come in and like consult on a young queer female voice. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. That's my brand. Got it. Um, so that they was... own it, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, are you kidding? Like the fact that I get to be a television writer and get that phone call, super. Right. Um, so that was sort of how I got involved in the first place. And then it snowballed from there and I eventually became a member of the creative team. And... Uh, 
I had never heard of Tales before I got that phone call. And it's been a really interesting journey because at the time I felt really ashamed about that. I felt like, oh my God, how as a queer woman had I missed this? Mm -hmm. But now that I'm talking about the show so much, I realize like, if you're not from the Bay and you're not of a certain generation, there are all these people who have missed this incredible thing right um so now getting to kind of usher it back in you know discovering the books myself just a couple years ago and being like these are so meaningful to me even now you know reading about queer characters specifically who are experiencing joy and love because of their sexual identities and gender identities rather than suffering was like oh we still unfortunately are in a place where armistead was when in 1978 of like the world needs this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so it's so cool to get to be a part of it I, and I think I think that happens to a lot of us. Like, oh, we feel guilty for not knowing everything. There's so much out there. So much. And I think the fact that you're using your talents and giving it a breath of fresh air mm. and making it relatable to peop- young, a younger audience, you're doing your part. So you have nothing to apologize about, okay? <laughs> thank thank you, get you so much. A, you get a pass. Great. <laughs> I wish I, I'm going to record you and then just play that over and over and over. But you're not going to be happy about my next statement because oh. I found out you did a lot of the shooting in New York. Why didn't you shoot it here, Lauren? What's up? Come on. Well, if you could tell the city to be a little more friendly towards production. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We shot here for about three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So all the like big, beautiful San Francisco scenes that you see Mm -hmm. in it were shot here. We're Mm -hmm. not faking any of it. Um, But then the house, of course, you know, that house needs to be built. So we built it on a soundstage in New York, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which it felt very strange to be faking New York for San Francisco. (laughs) And I think it was a relief to all of us when we finally got here to shoot all of the big scenes here. It was so joyful. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So you were received well by the city when when you came. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone was so excited to have us and it felt really, really great. Because a lot of the OGs from back then remembered the original tale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a day where we were shooting on the McCondry Lane steps Mm -hmm. and it was unbelievable because this crowd just sort of gathered at the bottom of the steps. And some of those people would come and tell us stories about being there and living there when they were shooting the original 25 years ago. Wow. There's so many ways. So some of those people are still here. That's good to know. Yes. (laughs) Some people are surviving San Francisco. A few. Yeah. We call them unicorns. Yeah. 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 But I do like that you touch on what's going on in San Francisco right now. And um, and this house on Barbary Lane, it's kind of like the last safe haven uh, and yeah. a sort of a dying breed, a community that it's, is finding it really hard to exist in this city right now. Yeah, yeah. It was really important to us that we, it was tricky because we felt like we needed to really pay some time and space toward how difficult the city can be for so many people now to live. Mm-hmm. And yet Tales also has this tone that's magical. And as you said, it's like a little, it's safe. And I always say it's like two feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so finding ways to integrate that into the story, but it's not, the other thing is like, it's not a documentary, right? So sort of tipping your hat toward it without letting it become as you were saying earlier, the city's terrible, the city's unlivable, all those things, like Mm -hmm. celebrating the stuff that's great alongside those things was important. I think you do tiptoe that line because I I, I was actually telling Zasha this, that sometimes I feel like it's a little bit soap opera, like exaggerated in in all these scenes, but then I'm still like, wait, I've found myself in a situation like that before. (laughs) That's totally relatable at the same time. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to, you know, we've been working on the show for a year and a half so now I'm like well tell me what you thought because yeah. we've just in this bubble of I'm glad to know that like you know it feels realistic on some level mm-hmm. well one thing that I really respect about the way that you went about production was you thought it was really important to have all the writers 
uh, are LGBTQ yeah. and all the experiences. I mean, it's weird that you have to even think of that, right? Like, doesn't it just make sense for people to be telling their own stories? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Why is that a weird thing? But that's for me, right. like, that's so special. And that, that's great that, you know, you, you made that. Uh, you made that a priority. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it felt like a real no-brainer to me. It didn't even really feel like a question. Mm -hmm. I think so often, especially with stories about marginalized communities, it is really easy to come to them. Like, as a queer person, if I weren't involved in Tales, I think I would be coming to it with a real eye towards skepticism. Yeah. And I can only represent my specific experience. So hiring at least six other people who could tell me about their experiences and how they're different and offer their stories. Hopefully, we're, like, diversifying as much as we can for this specific show. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and showing these characters in in the different dimensions that they deserve to be shown in yeah. because unfortunately that representation just isn't really out there either yeah and i i was talking earlier with murray and charlie about how even within the queer community of course there's going to be disagreements and and you know we were talking about the dinner party scene and how like you understand both sides and both mm. sides are right and wrong totally at the same time that's right that's right which i think is my own personal philosophy right like that's kind of the core of empathy is being able to walk out of that scene or any scene or any conversation and understand both sides because that requires listening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and, and then with the character of Marianne I don't know I, I kind of I relate to her a lot because she gets hated on for questioning her life and and kind of uh -huh. searching for searching for her purpose yeah and maybe that meant abandoning her family at some point and maybe it meant this but ultimately aren't we all just kind of trying to figure it out and we are gonna fuck up sometimes and totally. we are gonna hurt people but shouldn't we always be going towards our light our happiness yeah i think so i think we're all on this journey right and as you said we stumble and we fuck up and i mean i do that all the time and i think no you don't <laughs> except you film too much in new york you gotta come yeah, back yeah, to yeah, but anyway yeah. i'm moving on i'm over it i hear you and you know what i'm listening to your resentment i get it <laughs> yeah um yeah i think you know forgiveness is a real theme of the season mm -hmm. um specifically with marianne and shauna and i just think there's so many ways especially in the world right now that we could offer each other a lot more empathy and forgiveness and I think if we felt safe to mess up the world would be a little better because we mess up all the time anyway and what if we didn't have to feel ashamed of it hmm wow yes <laughs> all right that's some food for thought so um this show has a lot of surprises and twists mm -hmm. and you get to work with some really exciting actors and and can you tell me some behind the scenes stories any i mean you, you were working with some ogs in the game i really got to yeah i mean <laughs> i was saying this earlier i feel like often with the show especially when working with the ogs my job was to sit down and shut up you know mm. like mm. when you have laura linney coming back to play marianne singleton and she's doing scenes with olympia dukakis who's playing anna madrigal mm. my job is to sit down and watch because <laughs> <laughs> they got it mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I have nothing to add to that conversation they know these people they know the lives they know their craft like they're just such incredible brilliant talented people um and so many of the people in the cast were like that I mean there were so there were a lot of conversations that we had to have I think especially with the younger generation 
I really wanted to be open to okay Garcia who plays Jake like oh you yeah. know ugh, like you're reading the scene how does this feel to you does this feel like we got it does this feel like we missed the point how could we change this to make it better mm-hmm. um but yes yeah, certainly with like you know the OGs that were coming with the history it's like just do you show me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I will sit and I will learn from you and I will be better for it yeah well Zasha was saying it really is like a family environment and I know Everybody, when you ask them that, but yeah, yeah. It, it really feels like. Can you tell me the difference when the writers who are creating their recreating their own stories, mm. along with the actors, and it really does feel like you created a safe space for for them to not only be part, be, become these characters, but feel safe to explore within the parameters of the characters. I really hope we did. That was absolutely the goal. You know, the writers' room had been an incredible place, and it was really safe. And I wanted to try to replicate that as much as possible on set and I think our you know our directing team led by Alan Poole who produced the original also did that there were a lot of it just everyone was deeply respectful of the work and I think that there was a feeling of what you know you can never know whether what you're doing is good or not right but if you take value off the table I think we knew we were making something that was special and mattered Mm. and so everyone kind of approached it that way and they approached each other that way and they approached me that way and it was really magical Mm -hmm. well thank you so much i love i love the show and you're making me fall in love again with my city and reminding me why it's so special that alone is like worth making the show i'm so glad (laughs) all right well i'll take the paycheck (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much lauren you're you're so talented in everything you do i can't wait to see what you do next thank you for having me i really appreciate it thank you So those were my amazing interviews with showrunner Lauren Morelli and actors Zosha Mehmet, Charlie Barnett, and Murray Bartlett. And I have to say, it's really hard for me to pick a favorite interview from the three because they were all so fun. But I swear to God, I did not pay Charlie Barnett to say, bitch, please. (laughs) I mean, that was incredible, right? Yeah, that was fun. How sweet were they? They were so cute. And yeah, and... Props to you, Inch, because that was this was a daunting one to do by yourself. <laughs> you know, I missed Aaron for sure. Yeah, and you know, it was one of those things that you know, like we didn't know what was going to happen, and then it did kind of happen, and it happened really last fast. minute. Yeah, and yeah. we didn't know how you know, like what a big you know what a big production it was going to be. Yeah, which yeah. was kind of cool. Where we were at, um, what hotel? Were I think we it at? was the Hilton, wasn't it? No, no, this was. Um, oh, it was the Ritz. Uh, maybe it was the Ritz. It was. Yeah. Uh, where they put us up in the uh, in that little mini suite, and yeah. We had you and I snacked on the free food, yes, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, so all of the interviewees or or whatever, or not interviewees, all of the press people, press people were put in this suite with full on cheese and charcuterie. So duh, well, because the word, <laughs> because the whole cast was here because it was a big deal. You know, it's San Francisco. Um, you know, Pride, everything. And it was actually, this was the very first day of um, San Francisco Film Festival. Yeah. So it was like the big launch of like all things that were going to happen that day. It was opening night. Mm -hmm. So like, I want to say 95% of the cast, if not 100% of the cast was, um, you know, in attendance and in town. Yeah, yeah. And so they were doing interviews pretty much, they like, took over the whole floor yeah it was crazy yeah it was nuts and so i I know you you like doing all the things that you do and then coming in and then we just you know you jumped into it 
and we had some we had some really fun interviews. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it's hard to to pick a favorite, but I love how they were all just very different, and their experiences and and their experiences on the show were very different. But I just love, ju- I mean, and this speaks to tales of the city. It, it translates on screen just the authenticity of the characters and uh, the actors and, and Lauren Morelli, who is incredible. They all just like really pour their hearts out into this project. Yes, and yes. and it's based in San Francisco. It just gives you a sense of pride. I love it. And, and and they're talking about this is a this is a revival of a show that's been done twice before that's based on a novel. Right. But they're talking about you know the skyrocketing rent, the tech industry, all these different things that are affecting San Francisco now. Um, so it's it's relatable and and it's representing especially the LGBTQ community and uh, you know in just a very authentic relatable light so i love this show and and we're kicking off pride month so you know and um it's actually coming out on friday right yeah friday june 7th it'll be streaming on netflix and i'm actually excited because when when they gave us the episodes to watch they didn't give us the the final three or four so get through all the ones that they gave us yeah yeah so i watched all the ones they gave us i think they gave us like six but i haven't seen the rest of them so i'm excited to watch it right there with you and, and and see how it ends or at least how the first season ends um i remember i don't know if it was because I did a handful of interviews that day, but uh, uh, Lauren, Lauren Morelli, Lauren was like, you, "You guys are lucky because we didn't give you all of them, so you have something to look forward." To. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, "Tell me what happens." Yeah, it was just, it was really fun. I love these people. They were all, I mean, but I have to say, Charlie and uh, Charlie and Murray were the funnest. Oh, they were so engaging. Yeah, and then and then he bitch pleased me, so I was just like, "All right." My day, like, is, my day is complete. Game over. Gotta go. <laughs> and I did not pay him. He just knew. <laughs> he sensed that that's what, what I wanted him to say. So uh, I hope you guys inter- uh, enjoyed these interviews as much as we enjoyed recording them. Uh, I can't wait to watch the rest of Tales of the City. Again, it's uh, streaming on Netflix. So thank you guys for listening. As always, we really appreciate you. And this has been Bitch Talk Podcast, powered by GoTo Productions. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.